I got to be honest. I didn't know what Bob wanted. I kind of, the only thing I have a feeling he wanted was not to be there. (laughs) Really? An all new episode of the Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Hey man, what's happening? What's happening? All good? Yeah, man. Just in the middle of moving, it's pretty daunting at times. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if, man, moving sucks, right? (laughs) It really does. And it's like, it's not like I'm just moving around the corner. I'm moving from tennessee back up to jersey so it's like oh man jeez yeah. okay yeah that's, that's quite the trick well look uh, let's talk all about that uh hit record yeah, man. Uh, get into it three two one our next guest is let's be honest here uh one of the best songwriters ever and i want to talk all about that uh their current tour the gang's all here uh man they had so many dates this fall unfortunately to some health issues with the band they had to reschedule those gigs for february and march uh Check out Official Skid Row on Instagram for all that and get your tickets. Uh, welcome to the show for the first time. The one, the only Rachel Bolin from Skid Row. What's going on? What's up, Jeremy? What's happening? I was just cracking up. I was looking at your Instagram. So you're going to be at the uh, Days of the Dead con in, in Chicago. Are you, are you a big horror guy? or? Yeah, I, I like I'm not a slasher film guy, but right. I love old school horror like the Hammer films, Castle, you know, the Universal Monsters and yeah, all that Creature from the Black stuff. Lagoon. Like, come on, you, you. dude. Yeah, the stuff that uh, gave me nightmares when I was a little kid. I don't there like I don't I don't like being scared to death. I don't like stuff that is going to stick with me for the rest of my life. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, yeah the nightmare but, stuff. Yeah, but Snake and I are doing a few uh, horror cons. We're doing one in uh, Atlantic City and then another one in Orlando and then one uh, the Days of the Dead in Chicago. It's going to be fun, man. I mean, look, metal and horror, you, you, it's kind of a good combo, right? Yeah, you think of like a lot of the newer stuff out within the last 30 years always has some kind of metal song in it, you know, just yeah. to I, I, I think we scariness can- I think we can take like thank Rob Zombie for that a little bit too, because it's like you know when he got into do House of a Thousand Corpses and all this stuff, like he brought you know the musical element, which was a big part of the movie. Where it's always like yeah, 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 had soundtracks, but it was kind of like you know in the background, whereas the music became important to the movie, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I and uh, the first like metal band that I could remember being in a movie, I think was Dokken, uh Dream oh, Warriors. Yeah. The Freddy Krueger movie. They did the uh, the the theme, so to speak. So yeah, yeah, man, it's fun. They're, these things are really cool. You get to just meet a bunch of people. It's My really cool. Um, is- I was gonna say there's a really cool band called Goblin, and they did like the soundtracks for like Suspiria and Claudio. They, he always comes up to Montreal with the with the band in October. It's like it's you know oh, love that cool. shit. It's Halloween season, you know. Yeah, man, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were you speaking of Dawkins? Like, were you a fan of Dawkins? Like being on the scene and around, like at the same time, or was there like competition between you and those bands? Uh, no, I mean, not really. They came out uh, a while before we did, and they had mm-hmm. their success before we really came out. The the bulk of their success, but no, there was never. We we've done shows together since then, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they've gone great. Yeah. Uh, so. Talk about this tour a little bit. Uh, obviously, playing a bunch of new stuff, which brand new record is fantastic, by the way. Gang's all here. It's one of the best rock Thanks, records. Uh, our friend Mitch LaFon and I, we were talking about just how it's like, you know, top five rock records of the last, you know, like, man, it's, it's great, you know. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, of course, Eric coming into the band really sort of vitalizes the guys, gets you feeling excited about music again, right? Because I mean, when you got somebody, A, that can sing absolutely incredibly and is a nice dude, Kind of goes a long yeah. way, right? 
Yeah, you know, it, it uh, it's funny how it all happened and what a full circle it was for him. By the way, Grammy um, nominated. Let's throw that in there. Eric Ronwall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we've heard about that. <laughs> but yeah, so, so we, um, you know, he was in a band called Heat and they were opening up for Skid Row in the UK a few years back and, you know, heard his voice. And I was like, man, this dude's got some pipes and uh, maybe somewhere down the road, start a side project with him or whatnot. And just the way everything happened and, and fell into place is, you couldn't script it any better than that. And like you said, he, his voice fits Skid Row so perfectly and he could sing our back catalog well. And he, he just tears into the new stuff and it just, it just worked out, man. And all five of us are still like kind of pinching ourselves going, what does the universe have in mind for this band? Because this is pretty crazy how this all went down. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like divine intervention to a certain point. No kidding, man. Like we're, we're just we're like, okay, let's not question it. Let's just keep the ball and run with it, you know. Yeah. How did fans react to bringing Eric in? Like when you first got, because you know, fans have come to accept him, but at the same time, was there some hesitation within the fan? It didn't seem like it. It seemed like a lot. There, you know, there was a little bit. The purists are always going to be the purists and want the original lineup and and. That, that's fine whatever um yeah. but for the most part the the way <coughs> excuse me the way we planned it you know once he started he started recording the record um we went back and forth with some some of the powers that be and they wanted to make the announcement right away and we were like uh, we don't think that's a good idea. Let's just announce the Scorpions, announce a new record, announce Eric all at one time. Um, so people hear it and they don't get to to form an opinion before they even hear or see anything. So the first time we spoke about it was the day of the first show of the residency that we did with the Scorpions. And we announced everything and, and uh, got our song played. Uh, the gang's all here got it played on the radio and it we just went from there so it's just like like i said no one had time to form an opinion until they formed a you know a, 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 an opinion that that a worthwhile opinion yeah so if they still didn't like us at that point then they're never gonna like us this way <laughs> and that's fine but it it for for the most part everything went great and and you know they accepted him with open arms and he's part of us now yeah and i saw uh one of those shows uh at planet hollywood in vegas and man like first of all that venue's great zappos theater planet hollywood amazing great like you know rooms like that can kind of be dry and stuff and if you don't got like the right sound mix but like your music just translates so great in those theater type of venues and man when eric came out and just like you heard his voice you're like okay yeah i understand why he's in this band it just fits it does it it fits like a glove man and we were always like okay what's gonna happen here this was way too easy you know but then the fact that he grew up a, a skid row fan yeah like literally grew up listening to us you know he, he respects the music much. and he respects the yeah, band yeah exactly and he he's got a uh a very wide palette uh, uh for like the music that he likes because his dad turned him on to it and mm. 
uh, onto stuff. And, you know, he likes Elvis. He likes Little Richard, as we do. And which are, you know, our parents turned us on to it yeah. and stuff like that. So it, it's cool. There, there's we, we connect on so many different levels um, musically as well as as we have the same just ridiculous offbeat sense of humor and, and <laughs> just a bunch of boneheads going out doing what we love, you know? Yeah. Uh, we work with Nick Raskolinics on the latest record. I mean, just one of the best producers in the game. Let's be honest. I mean, his work with Raj and. Foo Fighters, like how, how did that collaboration come about? Was he like on the t- the list, like the short list of okay, if we're gonna make a record, we need to have like a powerhouse producer with us. Was that the the intention there? Well, uh, yeah, and the the fact that I, I met Nick uh, when I moved down to Nashville, and mm-hmm. I met him uh, through friends. I mean, obviously, I knew who he was, but I, I formally met him through friends. It was at a actually at a Slipknot concert, and uh, mm-hmm. here here in t- uh, Nashville, and you know, we, we just became friends really quickly. And one night we were out to dinner. It was a bunch of us out to dinner. And he goes, let's make a Skid Row record. And I was like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, dude. And he goes, I'm a fan first, but I'm a producer second. But I would love to produce a Skid Row record. Wow. I said, let's let's get the wheels in motion. And we did. And then we made changes. We, we, we got Eric in the band. And everything we we had pretty much well we had all the music recorded at that point we had some guide vocals on there and whatnot and when uh, he heard Eric he he kind of he was the one like dudes get this guy he's gonna fit this he's gonna fit you guys so well and we were watching Eric's um, he did a cover of eighteen in life on his YouTube channel yeah and so it's funny how that was his audition for Swedish idol. And then he won that year. And then it got basically, he <laughs> it got him in the band because yeah. he made a cover of it so many years later, you know? Yeah. And so it, it um, w- when we got him in the band, everything just kind of fell together fast. And, and Nick is one of those guys just when we were doing pre-production and the actual recording, he's that guy whose brain just never, stops creating he's a creative Mm -hmm. force and he would just hey um play this there play it think of the song you know chain gang or think of the thread or something like that Mm -hmm. play something along those lines and he actually got us to retrace our steps back to wow okay began which isn't easy i don't think it's easy for it may have been easier for him than it was for us because i mean when you're on the outside, it's easy to look back where mm-hmm. someone came from. When when you're that person, it's kind of hard to remember sometimes. So that that was we we put all of our trust into him and with our songs, which we have never really done before. We have always been really hold them really tight and just like yeah, I like this part. I don't want to let go of it. But we stayed really open minded, and you know. The fact that that he's a friend, you trust him, and the fact that he's such a fan of music, you trust him, and then the fact that he is just a, a great producer, you know, you can't yeah. deny any of that. And so you said something interesting there. I mean, like it's almost like he wanted to take you back and put you in. Like, did he say, you know, like, we need to get back into that headspace of okay, where were you when you were writing eighteen in life or youth gone wild? We need to go back to that and try and come up with songs. Like, did he? Was that the intention there? Did he? You know. 
for for the most part yeah he did it we we were playing a song and he just started shaking his head like no because nick will walk around mm -hmm. while you're doing pre-production he has a drumstick that he plays air drums too and while he's thinking and at one point he goes you guys sound like you're afraid to be skid row you need to be more skid row and that really resonated when i left that day and i went home thinking about it and I'm like, you know what? He's right. Because uh, I didn't understand what he said at first. Mm -hmm. um, because Does that we, I, offend I you, though? You're like, what do you mean? I am Skid Row. Like, what the fuck? Like <laughs> no, no, it didn't. <laughs> it didn't offend me at all. I, I just I couldn't understand what he meant at first. And then when I went home and I thought about it and then I thought about what he said, try to play a little more like this. You're, you're, that doesn't sound like you're playing and then this and that. And he'd do that with each of us. And then while I was home, I was like, you know what? He's right. And I'd sit down and I'd work out a bass on. I was like, this is the way I think when I play bass. I'm just, I'm just doing stuff too simple now or too just straight ahead, making life easy for myself and my bass lines and stuff. And I'm not really that guy that I was. So I got it right away. And then the next day when we all came back, it was like a different band walked into the room. We were like, okay, all right, this is it. And you saw him, oh, yeah, and he's banging his head. Mm. The horns went up, the whole thing. Yeah. But it was funny because I brought a song in one time. Like, he, he was just so bluntly honest, which this band needed, and we loved it, especially being from Jersey because we're just like, that's how we are with each other. If you think someone's <laughs> a, a, a dick, you just say, dude, you're a dick. Leave me alone, yeah. you know, but – like it, ball busting's um, all fun and games until you know it's like, dude, stop being a dick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he, I brought in a song, and because uh, he's like, man, we need stuff like think, think big guns and think. And I was like, oh, I kind of have a song in that vein. And I go home and I demoed it, and I brought it in. He goes, man, this song sucks. Doesn't sound anything like Skid Row. And I was just like, what? <laughs> Just like these crushing, these crushing, like ego crushing blows, but it was fine because he was right. You know, right. it's like maybe, maybe we could rework it, but we need songs like this. And he'd mm -hmm. point out a song, and we're like, okay, cool, cool. So you couldn't, you, you couldn't be, um, your your ego couldn't be too delicate around yeah. him as it can't really be with around this band as a whole. Because when you do something right no one remembers when you do something wrong and no one forgets <laughs> well that's it it's the headline on blabbermouth right away fucking rachel bolin at it again you know <laughs> there you go <laughs> but you know working with a producer like that i mean that's the job of the producer right take you out of your comfort zone and push you to get the best performance you can absolutely and and it was really refreshing you know we've we've self-produced a lot of our stuff and you know we worked with the one and only michael wagner and he used to yeah. do that with us you know we've worked with a couple other producers and just, man, I don't know, man. It just it doesn't sound like we did anything special than the demo, you know, that type mm. of thing. So, yeah, to be back with someone like Nick that really, really pushed the boundaries for us uh, personally and collectively is something Skid Row really needed. Did you guys cut the stuff live off the floor, like minimal overdubs? Like, what was the production process like? Well, we um, we got together and we played. We, rehearsed a lot like uh, in pre-production and then we would all play it together <clears throat> we would go back and listen all, all meaning everyone but eric 
because uh, he wasn't really in the fold yet. So we'd, we'd go in and listen to what we just recorded, and then we get it tight, uh, like really tight. And then we would do, uh, what were you, what was it called? Stripes, where we would do a, just Scotty Snake and myself would do exactly what we just did without our drummer, Rob. Mm. And we do it to a click. And then this way, the band, when Rob came in to redo his drum tracks, there was a clean track, a clean stripe that just had the rhythms on it. Not that we were going to keep the rhythms, but they were there. So the band didn't all have to be there and he could really concentrate on drums. There was no outside opinions on changing parts and whatnot. And Nick and Rob could just sit there and sink into the drum tracks and us three didn't have to play them play the songs a million times over because right. that wears you out that at least me personally when you have to to do songs like before you even get to your tracks and you're playing them with the drummer and then you're playing them with the guitar players and then you're playing them again before you even get to your tracks they feel so sterile and, and just um you know it doesn't feel like there there's any spontaneity to them anymore so then right. the guys came in and this is this was really different than than scotty and snake came in and they played together. They played in the control room, one on the right of Nick and one on the left. Mm. And they played off of each other when they did their rhythms. And that was really cool. I got to witness that. And that was pretty, pretty friggin' awesome. Just watching those guys like they were live on stage, just just working, working off each other and getting each, the, the feel really came across, I think, on the recording. And then the weirdest thing was is me doing the bass last because usually I would do my bass right after we did drums. Mm -hmm. So I did my bass last and it was the whole idea was kind of confusing to me. And then I got there and I was like, why are we doing it this way? He goes, because it gives you the spaces where you might want to change something and, and hmm. get in between the guitars. And, and he was right. Like I changed a few different bass lines that I had, uh, that I we I had settled on, and I don't mean settling in a bad way, but that that I, I came to okay, this is the baseline for the song, and then by doing it last, I, I was like, okay, I get what he says. I'm going to follow this guitar line a little here, and I'm going to go here, and I'm going to get in between the drums and the guitar. You know what I'm saying? And it right. really gave me a good good canvas to to uh, finish the painting. And look, let's be honest here. I mean, a lot of the times bass is sort of an afterthought on a record. But the, the fact that you're actually able to get in between the guitars and play off those bits and pieces, I'm sure you're able to come up yeah. with some cool shit that you wouldn't have had come up with otherwise. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Had, had we done me right after the drums, it would have just been what I played. So with that type of process versus going back to, you know, recording the first Skid Row record, I mean, like, what was the biggest difference between now and then? <clears throat> um about two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> right yeah it was expensive to make records yeah you used to get these gigantic advances now the um i did the biggest difference was that when we uh we did the first record especially i was in the room with uh rob Afuso while he was doing drums and we recorded then i would go back and once the drums were done then i laid the bass down and we laid each thing individual mm -hmm. and that was the biggest difference 
Um, we would work on, well, there was a lot of similarities too. Like with, with this, with Nick, it's like, okay, today is bass day. Today's drum day. Today's guitar day, rhythm guitar day. Tomorrow's bass day. And then next day's solo day. And then vocal day. That, that, that was, other than the arrangement of the process, that was the same process Michael worked, uh, mm. how he worked. So with, with uh, when we did the one record with Bob Rock, it was just kind of, whatever mood bob was in it's like okay we're gonna do the bass to this song today mm. and then i'm gonna bring snake in he's gonna do the solo on that song and then we're gonna and i was just like you couldn't really get a like any momentum going you know what i mean Interesting. so yeah and but that's the way bob works i guess um so yeah that that I, I like doing it where, okay, this is my day. I'm going to go in because, you know, you, you start feeling really good and you play, you know, say you do, say you do the whole record in the whole day, in one day. Right. And then you're thinking, can I go hear that first song again? I just got a few different ideas that you might've picked up along the way hmm. and you're just on a roll and you got momentum. You want to go back and do it. And I like doing it that way much better. Yeah, it's so amazing just to hear, like, you know, a record could easily have been done in a day, but then when you take your time to actually do it, like you said, you go back and you hear shit that you didn't necessarily think of at the yeah. time or in the moment, and you can do that stuff. What, what was the experience like working with Bob Rock? Um, It was, uh, you know, it, it was it was the beginning of the end for the band, pretty much, even more than the beginning of the end. It's like... It, the, was it, like, infighting, was, and the band was, like... Yeah, the band was just falling apart. It, it was it was evident that this was probably going to be the last record that we do, <clears throat> but songs were, were rushed. Not, well, I shouldn't say rush, but we, we had some cool stuff and they were really torn apart when we went to, which I'm fine. Nick did that. But then when they came back, it, it was, uh, the process of building with the band and the producer where with Bob, he tore him down and just play it this way, do this, do that. And we were like, I, I can't, I can't say personally when I walked away from that record, I felt good about it. I know there are like that, I, that record is kind of like a cult classic at this point, you know, right. Some people really like it. Um, I didn't like it sonically. I didn't like the way the songs turned out from what they originally were. I mean, I'm all about changing some stuff if it betters the song, but I just didn't feel good about it. Bob has his process and it works for him in Metallica. Yeah. Um, so well, I was going to say, you know, I mean, like, does, does Bob Rock come in and is he sort of chasing a sound and like the times or is it like. I got to be honest, I didn't know what Bob wanted. I kind of, the only thing I have a feeling he wanted was not to be there. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm, I'm being funny. There, yeah. there, there's the metal sludge headline, blabbermouth. But oh um, he, he just, um, yeah, I don't, I, uh, it didn't seem like he wanted to do it from the beginning. But right. it, so, what, he, so why it Bob, is though? It is. is it because of Kickstarter, but like, you know, because of Dr. Feelgood and the Black Album? You know, because yeah, of his, and, his engineering and, background, and and the the fact that we we narrowed it down to a few producers, and that was the one where we all agreed on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of us wanted Michael again, 
some of us didn't some of us wanted other people but bob was the the common thread of, of who we wanted to work with because let's face it dude's made some great friggin' records you can't you know deny I mean? it i mean he's nope. got a track record That's sonic temple you know and and just like the the fairburn stuff that he worked on and all that you know it's just he's made some great great rock and roll records yeah was mutt lang ever in the in the conversation uh we would have loved to get mutt lang but he 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 was in the conversation i just didn't <laughs> i don't think atlanta atlantic wanted to uh pony up that kind of cash for him you know right yeah and it was also the mid 90s i mean like rock was like completely different from what it was even like two three four years before that i mean was the label sort of pressuring you to try and change up the sound and be a little bit more like you know the grunge and heavier shit that was happening no because that wasn't really happening yet i mean they they were pressuring us to do a record they were for a year or so but just with the way things were going with the band it was really tough um and just wanting even to get together to write and knowing that it's like uh is any any of the guys in the band even gonna like this song you know what i mean mm. and it, it was just one of those things you know it's interesting to, that you you have the self-doubt though you know well it's not so much self-doubt it's just like doubting the song it's just doubting if like the guys would like it because the like i said the infighting was bad so it's like well, why do you get to write a song and we don't type of thing it's just like man we're just following the process that made it successful let's just yeah. do it the same way and you know it, it happens with every band man and it's just it is it, what it is yeah i was just gonna say that. I, I still i still like some of the songs on that record like i would love to re-record a few of those songs with eric oh and uh it that could be, be kind cool. of like a cool little project. Do an EP of some like you know classic B sides that the fans love, but put Eric on it. Give it like a fresh coat of paint, like you know. I, I agree. I agree. I think I think the fans that that like Eric would really dig that. Would you guys ever consider going in and like remixing those early records? Take off a little bit of that reverb on the snare, and maybe just like modernize it. So David uh, David Coverdale did that with the the White Snake stuff, and uh, he called it a fresh coat of paint, and uh, they they sound really good. <laughs> <laughs> I um I wouldn't do that. Thank you for saying um, that because I love the cannonball snare drum and the overprocessed sound of those records. You know, you know? it it was the sign of the times. It's what defined us as a band sonically, and it, it was it was it's the way it is, man. I mean, remastering maybe you know, but not remixing by any means. I mean, the mix that Michael did on those first two records. I think any fan would notice a change and just be uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know I have heard stuff and I'm like, that wasn't in there, you yeah. know, that, or that, that, that delay wasn't in there or that reverb is way shorter now, you know? And I'm right. just like, it's something you notice. It becomes part of the song. It's, it's going to be weird one day when like, you know, our favorite bands aren't touring anymore and I can't say I'm going to see a Skid Row show, you know? Right. <laughs> That's going to be weird for me, too. <laughs> do you see a do you see an end for the band at some point or do you think this is going to keep Man. going for as long as you want? That's funny you say that, because I I thought I was going to retire at 40 and that was that was, uh, you know, 19 years ago. So I and then I was like, you know, I'll retire at 50 and then kept playing. And then this 
all this stuff happened in 21, you know, and I'm just like, you know what? I'll retire when I just physically can't do this anymore because I love what I do. I love going out. I love playing on stage. Um, I love creating. That's, you know, that that's my life's blood is, is to my life blood is to create music and then follow that up with with playing it in front of people. So I, I don't see any end. <laughs> Who knows? Right. Maybe my my uh, grandson will you know take over my spot hey you never know right i mean why not make it a family mm-hmm. affair you know yeah absolutely an all-new episode of the jeremy white show available wherever you stream